Free Talk Live. And it's your show. You can take control of the airwaves toll free at 800 259 9231. That's the packet 8.net toll free line for you. 1 800 259 9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com where all the features are totally free. Uh, that once again is freetalklive.com. Of course, we've been talking, as many people have this week, about the Don Imus controversy. As we reported to you last night, Don Imus was canned from his MSNBC simulcast of his show. And as of today, he's been fired from CBS Radio. So he's lost his television gig and he's lost his radio gig within the last 48 hours. All as a result of saying one phrase on his uh, national radio show last week. Yeah. I, I think it's a little bit extreme. I don't think that this is necessarily appropriate, but it's certainly, uh, I guess this is the market in action, huh? I mean, this is what uh, the market has decided to do, because the feds weren't involved nope. in this. It, it, nope. There um, was no government threats here. You know, and it, it does show how uh, people are, uh, companies and people are more scared of bad news than they are of good news, because Don Imus got all kinds of support on his show. He was doing a telethon for, uh, you know, like... Uh, crippled kids today um that he does every year he's raised 40 million dollars uh, i want to know how many uh, millions of dollars al sharpton or uh, uh, reverend jesse jackson have donated to children's charities um you know he's he, he was raising out raising money and he got fired you know on the day that he's doing a telethon it, to me it, it's baffling mm. um but you know i, I don't know it, it's it, it's just amazing to me well according to cbs news uh, their own report with the AP, CBS announced today that it has fired Don Imus from his radio program following a week of uproar over the radio host's derogatory comments about the Rutgers women's basketball team. Now, I doubt that this article mentions what the uh, you know the contract stipulations are because in in a contract like a Don Imus would have, there's early termination penalties. Right. So if they're firing Don <laughs> not Imus... Con- not a contract like we would have. No, he's probably cashing in. Yeah. He's probably getting several hundred thousand dollars, if not more, uh, out of this firing. Oh, I would think, yeah, more than hundred, several hundred thousand dollars. There has been much discussion, this according to uh, CEO Leslie Moonvis, quote, there's been much discussion of the effect language like this has on our young people, particularly young women of color, trying to make their way in this society. That consideration has weighed most heavily on our minds as we made this decision. It's a stunning fall for one of the nation's most prominent broadcasters. Time Magazine once named the cantankerous broadcaster as one of the most 25 influential people in America, and he's a member of the National Broadcaster Hall of Fame. But Imus found himself at the center of a storm after he called members of the Rutgers team nappy-headed hoes last week. Protests ensued, and one by one, numerous sponsors pulled their ads from Imus's show. On Wednesday, MSNBC dropped its simulcast of the program. Losing Imus will be a financial hit to CBS Radio, which also suffered when shock jock Howard Stern departed for satellite radio early last year. The program's worth about $15 million in annual revenue to CBS, which owns Imus's home radio station, WFAN, and manages Westwood One, the company that syndicates the show across the country. Mm. So a lot of... Uh, a lot of Radio stations are going to be looking for some new morning shows soon. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should switch to mornings. No. No, that would okay. suck. I, uh, don't, I don't think it. No, thanks. But, you know, this is how it works. Uh, somebody just disappears. They they just, for whatever reason, bail out or leave the leave the game, and there's a slot open, and it's an opportunity for uh, for somebody else. Right. The understudy gets to, to give it a shot. 
Reverend Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson met with Les Moonves to advocate Imus's removal, promising a rally outside CBS headquarters Saturday in an effort to persuade more advertisers to abandon Imus. The chairman of CBS Corp's board said that he had expected Moonves to do the right thing, although it wasn't clear what that was. The news came down in the middle of Imus's radiothon. As you mentioned, it has raised more than $40 million since 1990 for good causes. The radiothon had raised more than $1.3 million Thursday before Imus learned that he had lost his job. Mm. He said, quote, this may be our last radiothon, so we need to raise about $100 million. He cracked at the start of the event. Right. Uh, volunteers were getting more than 200 more pledges per hour than they did last year, with most callers expressing support for Imus. So that's interesting. Even amidst all the controversy, the Imus fans really digging extra uh, deep, essentially, and and contributing more than they ever had. I, I would think that they would in these circumstances. Um, you know, there's... The guy that they like is uh, being attacked, and and that's how it generally goes. I mean, you know, people people rally around uh, and support when when you're under fire. Imus said uh, he didn't attack MSNBC for its decision, saying, "quote I understand the pressure they were under, but complained that the network was doing some unethical things during the broadcast." He didn't elaborate. Sharpton says it is not about taking Imus down; it's about lifting decency up, and. But it, it, to him, it is about taking Imus down. That's what he said. Yeah. You know, um, it, it would be one. It, it's not as though he didn't apologize. It's about taking Imus down. It's about uh, you know burning an effigy, uh, somebody who would say such a thing. Um, I, I don't, I don't see the point. I mean, Imus lost a, uh, you know, just got a great little severance package from CBS, and if he wanted to be on the air Monday morning, he could be. You believe me? Somebody will pick up Imus. That's and that's kind of where I was going to go with this is that uh, Tom Taylor, editor of trade publication Inside Radio, says Imus still has a lot of support among radio managers across the country, many of whom grew up listening to him, uh, according to Mr. Taylor. So I don't know. The question is how long is it going to be before he pops up again? It's not going to be next week. Nobody, I don't think, I don't think anybody is going to take the potential heat of. Uh, of grabbing Don, and there's probably some sort of an agreement in his contract or a clause in his contract that, that may actually stipulate that he can't go and work for, for anybody else for mm-hmm. a period of time. So who knows what the details are behind the scenes. Odds are good. Things will cool down a little bit, and then somebody will hire him again. He'll probably make it into a smaller market because, um, I mean, he's in New York City. You can't get any bigger than that. He'll probably show up in a Washington, D.C. or something like that because he's he, – I guess he has a lot of political guests on his show, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So probably would work. Sort of like the Grease Man. He sort of uh, – I don't know if you know even the name. The no, I, Man. I don't. He um, he offended somebody a few years ago. He was one of the bigger national uh, talk show hosts, and he offended somebody. I don't even remember what the issue was. He disappeared and once again was rehired by a station in, in Washington, D.C. He's nowhere now compared to where he used to be. But he's still on the air. He's still doing radio. So the question is, do you think Don Imus is going to come back because he's 65 years old? And looks like he is 85. Uh, is he going to throw in the towel? Is he just going to retire and enjoy the rest of his life and put all this stuff behind him? Or is he going to go and give it another shot on radio? It's a it's a hell of a way to uh, end his radio career. I mean, he's in the Radio Hall of Fame or whatever you said there. Um, he's a big deal. It's a shame that he has to go out like this. Um, but... You know, it would be so difficult to rebuild his career at this point. Um, you know, start off in say D.C. or um, San Francisco or some market like that, and then uh, 
build his clientele again. I, I'm sure that a lot of stations would want to carry him just because of the name, but uh, it, it would still take some time. 800-259-9231. You've got an email about the IMIS controversy, or actually, is it a blog post or something? I'm not sure what you have, but you've got something. We'll get to it, but Eddie in Ohio is on the line. Eddie, you're on Free Talk Live. Can you hear me? Gotcha. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, you can hear me? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know what this is? I mean, you can tell me I'm wrong, but this is what's called conditioning for hate speech laws. People's feelings are being hurt, and... I listened on the radio on 93.1, I forget what radio station it was, but the mother brought her six-year-old daughter on the radio about how horrible this was, and her daughter's crying. But it's like people are being encouraged to say, oh, you've hurt my feelings so bad I'm crying and I can't take it. Yeah, that it's really this sad. This is hate speech, this isn't free speech, and this is what's happened in Canada, that you're not allowed to speak the truth or your, or your true feelings about anything if you're going to hurt somebody's feelings because you'll go to prison for two years. You know, Eddie, I think you're on to something here because there's a quote on the front page of the Drudge Report from Al Sharpton. Here's what he said. It is our feeling that this is only the beginning we must have a broad discussion on what is permitted and not permitted in terms of the airwaves. Now, he's not out he's not out and out calling for federalism is what it is. Yeah, he he's 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 talking about some regulations. He's not calling for them quite yet, but he's saying that we need to talk about um, regulating what people can and can't say. I think we should call radio. it the the uh, the Sharpton bill. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 800-259-9231. More about IMUS, freedom of speech, freedom to offend, and the fact that you are not free to not be offended. You don't like it, turn it off. That's the way it should work. Unfortunately, if some of these people get their way, it looks like we might have hate speech laws coming to America. Ugh. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You bring up what you want toll-free at 800-259-9231, the packet8.net toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com, where all the features are completely free, including archives and entire year's worth of the shows. Right there on the front page of the website for your downloading convenience. Just go and get them for free at freetalklive.com. And the Free State Project's Porcupine Freedom Festival, better known as Porkfest, is June 18th through the 24th. At Porkfest, you'll be able to talk with New Hampshire natives and those who've made the move, socialize with hundreds of fellow activists and lovers of liberty, hear and discuss the progress and the future of the Free State Project. Register today at Porkfest.com. That's P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T dot com. Once again, our number is 800-259-9231. Uh, so we're talking about the Don Imus situation. A lot of people are upset as a result. The companies that were behind the show, MSNBC, they started losing advertisers. MSNBC dumped the show yesterday. Today, CBS Radio has also dumped his show. So as of uh, presumably tomorrow, I, I haven't seen any sort of parameters around the firing. So I don't know if he's got like the rest of the week to finish his shows out. It sounds like he's done. It sounds that way to me, too. So, I, I don't know. If you've got more to say on this, 800-259-9231 is a toll-free number. But there was an email or a web post or something like that. You had a some sort of a story on this, Mark. Yeah, it's it's an article. Another um, man's opinion, and I guess another black gentleman's opinion. Yes, that's the impression I get. Um, Imus isn't the real bad guy. Instead of wasting time on irrelevant shock jock, black leaders need to be fighting a growing gangster culture. Thank you, Don Imus, uh, from uh, Jason Whitlock. Thank you, Don Imus. You've given us, black people, an excuse to avoid our real problem. 
you've given Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson another opportunity to pretend the old fight, which is now a safe and lucrative fight, is still the most important fight in our push for true economic and social equality. You've uh, given Vivian Stringer and Rutgers the chance to hold a nationally televised recruiting celebration, expertly disguised as a news conference, to respond to your poor attempt at humor. Thank you, Don Imus. You extended Black History Month to April. We can now, once again, wallow in victimhood, protest like it's 1965, and, um, excuse me, I just lost my place, and delude ourselves into believing that fixing your hatred is more necessary than eradicating our self-hatred. Um, actually, our interview is uh, is on the line. I uh, I screwed it oh. up and I gave him the wrong number, and so he's there. Oh, uh, I wasn't informed of that. I, I well, I asked, and he's there. Oh, well, okay. Paul uh, Wilson, are you there? I guess we're going to an interview. Then we'll continue the IMIS thing in a little bit. I'm well, you know, I I'm uh, I've been an IMIS listener for forever. Have you? Uh, what do you think uh, about the controversy? Uh, it's. You know, it, it, the hypocrisy that, that that's going on out there, and the selective outrage, just this, it's infuriating. I mean, you know, I listen, I happened to hear that remark. I, I was because I, my uh, clock radio goes off to him every at six a.m. every morning, and it's one of those things where I said, "How does he get away with this stuff?" <laughs> and <laughs> and apparently, he didn't. Yeah, I mean, it, it, but it's you know, and the thing is. Saying it about those girls, I think, was was the problem. If it, yeah. if it had been a public figure, you know, I think everybody would have just brushed it off. And, I, you know. I would say, in retrospect, that that's the case. But he talks about a lot of sports figures, and I, you know, I, he's on a sports station. Yeah, well, he is. Yeah, yeah well, for, professional sports figures, I consider them, you know, public figures. Yeah. But I mean, college girls. Um, that's. Yeah, that's a whole different uh, partner. I've got to say, he did, he did he did them some uh, a favor though. I've never I never have heard of Rutgers University's women's basketball team. I, if you'd have asked me, I'd have said I don't know if they have one or not. Um, so well, they were in the national finals. They, they may very well have been, but yeah. I didn't know it. Um, you know, it, I know that it was a big deal, but this whole Imus thing brought it to my attention. I didn't know they existed. So, I mean, they got some additional, um, you know, play out of it. A lot of additional play out of it. A lot of people feel very badly for the girls. They got an Oprah. Who can say that? I haven't been on Oprah. I've got my own national radio show. Right. Now, um, since you do have your own national radio show, Mark, let me, as the uh, host, the main host of the show, yes. give you a few tips on how to bring a, a guest on the air. Um, we've we've sort of just run straight into an issue with uh, the gentleman that's on the phones. And yes. We need... Honestly, I don't even that's know right. who, who we're talking to. Yeah. <laughs> so, Paul, who the hell are you? Who the hell am I? Oh, I'm an author. An author? Um, yeah. And you've written, I, I can't tell how many books. There's a whole bunch of them. 35, 7 books, you know. I mean, I used to know Ike Asimov, and he would say, oh, I just finished you know, book 437. He had them all in his head. But, wow. You know, after a while... You know, and you, you're contracted for a book a year. You just write that book a year, and you don't count them. It's just, but you know, I, I passed the 35 mark. I know that. <laughs> now, um, I, I couldn't tell you. I've read two of your books. Um, I like them very much. And and having a, a my own radio show, I get to bring on authors that I like. Um, I, now they're they're fiction, but beyond that, I can't say that there's much corollary between the two books other than uh, the politics of the books. What kind of author would you call yourself? I, I consider myself a thriller writer. Thriller, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I've written horror thrillers, science fiction thrillers, medical thrillers, political thrillers, and but you know, I use the thriller structure 
uh, no, the multiple viewpoint type of thing. And the, the what viewpoint? Multiple viewpoint where multiple. there's more than one character that okay. you're you're experiencing the book through. So you go one chapter, you'll be on one character. The next chapter, you'll be maybe a, you'll be talking about the the bad guy from his perspective. Exactly, exactly. Gotcha. And in a thriller, basically, the reader knows more than any of the characters. Whereas in a mystery, the reader doesn't know any more than the detective. Till the very end. Yeah. And then it's all revealed. I see. Right. So, so basically, you are following the mystery, and you don't you are learning as the characters are learning. Whereas in a thriller, you're seeing it from all different points, and, I, and, I, and that kind of a structure I, I, I'm very comfortable with, and I like that better because, you know, I can really build suspense because you can see somebody heading, you know, heading towards the same intersection as, you know, the bad guy's heading for the same intersection as the good guy and that type of thing, so you, you can build suspense that way. Now, the books that I've read of yours are the Lenang Chronicles, which is a science fiction uh, <laughs> Uh, book and and uh, the the tomb, which is a I, I would just call it a thriller. Um, you know, it was probably the best way to describe it. They were given to me by a listener, a guy named Mike. Mike, and uh, you know, thanks very much for that. But um, the the thing that sort of draws them together is your politics. There's lots of people out there that um, write lots of good, uh, you know, science fiction books. I haven't asked them to be on the show. It seems to me that you must be a pretty darn principled libertarian. Yeah, I I I started off. Uh, in the, I went to Georgetown in the 60s, mm-hmm. and um, Washington was Washington D.C. was in a huge foment at the time, and I was a guy without a home. You know, mm-hmm. if I was if I went and hung out with the uh, the lefties, and started talking about you know maybe a gold, you know a gold standard, right, and um, a laissez-faire economy, you know they would like you know, horrified. They would just, yeah, they would just kick me out, right. and I hang out with some of the. You know, there were the young Republicans and mm-hmm. the young conservatives and stuff, and I would hang out with them and start talking about legalizing prostitution and drugs, and they'd be holding up crosses. <laughs> so, so I was, I had no home, and it was, um, and there weren't many people like me out there. I, well, got, I wouldn't uh, think there were, and I'm going to ask you a little bit more about uh, sort of your growth in the libertarian movement when we get back. Okay, great. This is uh, we're talking with F. Paul Wilson. He is a, apparently a libertarian thriller author, and you may be familiar with his books. If you've got a question for him, eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. That's the toll free number. You can take control of the airwaves. I want to know what the F stands for. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. <laughs> Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You bring up what you want toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line for you, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com, where all the features are completely free, including live streams. There's a broadband version of the show and a dial-up version as well for your listening pleasure for free at freetalklive.com. And do you enjoy building things? Well, woodcraftplans.com has hundreds of blueprints for things like lawn chairs, rocking horses, yard shadows, fine furniture, and more. Step-by-step instructions and full-size patterns guide all skill levels. Woodcraftplans.com supports Free Talk Live, so please support woodcraftplans.com. That's woodcraftplans.com. 
And uh, Mark has uh, apparently set up an interview for us tonight with uh, with an author. And I guess he's one of your favorite authors, right? Mike? Well, I, I don't know about uh, favorite all time. I've just started reading the um, last couple of books by uh, F. Paul Wilson. And I have enjoyed them greatly. And they're also sort of of a libertarian genre. Libertarian radio show made sense to bring him on, you know? You said that, uh, that he was a principled libertarian. And uh, Mr. Wilson, would you agree with that description? I'm not sure what that means. Well... <laughs> A libertarian, libertarian, you know. Just, well, these uh, days you have to. I mean, these days apparently there are different things. I mean, I'm I'm of the libertarian mold where you're only a libertarian if you reject the initiation of force. Apparently, these days the word libertarian has been adopted by others who do accept the initiation of force in certain areas. Um, people that just want to label themselves as libertarian to be cool. So that's sort of, I guess, where um where I'm coming from on this. Yeah, no, I go back to the old objectivist school where you know. Your 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 right to swing your fist ends at someone else's nose. Well, you see, we had a different author on uh, not too long ago. Uh, Terry Goodkind was on the show, and he described himself as obje- an objectivist, and then went on to uh, to talk about invading Iraq and killing is- Islam and and all sorts of horrible, very unlibertarian things. So, objectivism apparently doesn't necessarily lead one to liberty. Well, I mean, that's, but basically, when it, where I came from, that was all there was. Got right. It was all, um, you know, 1965. There was they were all in one camp. Now they've uh, sort of splintered. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, there they, was no libertarianism with a capital L back then. Right. right. <laughs> there wasn't a party back then. How could there no. be? No. Um. So uh, tell me how it's affected your career. I mean, obviously, you've been a libertarian for a very long time. I sort of found it in the last few years. Um, how's it affected your career throughout the years? Um, have you? faced any kind of discrimination based on your political beliefs? Uh, do people that read your novels that are sort of reading them from the science fiction angle, not from the libertarian angle, are they surprised by um, the sort of the worlds that you create? Um, it's, there are a lot of libertarians in science fiction. Um, that's why one of the reasons Heinlein is so, so popular. Mm-hmm. And The Moon is the Heart's Mistress is, a, is an excellent example of a really libertarian novel. Okay. Um, with the, um, he invented you know, Tan Staffel uh, in that novel. What's that? And, the the, the uh, character? It's, it's an acronym that means there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. I see. And uh, if you haven't read that novel, it, it's absolutely wonderful. It lays out you know, libertarian principles beautifully, but without preaching. It just shows them at work. Now, that's Heinlein, what is it? The, uh, Robert A. Heinlein. The moon is a harsh mistress. I see. Yeah, that's certainly gotten accolades in the past from uh, from many other libertarians. Now, why is it you think that is that uh, the sci-fi genre attracts so many libertarian authors? You know, I, I, you know, I, because you can extrapolate. You know, if this goes on, so you can make a dystopia. Um, you know, in, in a sense that you would wish there was libertarianism. And you can also just show how libertarianism might work. Um, trouble is, a lot of them get very preachy, mm-hmm. and uh, I've, I've, I definitely tried to avoid. That. I tried to embed it in the story, right? And I'm not out. I'm not out to convert people to libertarianism. Right. I'm a libertarian. That's my worldview. When I write a book, it's going to seep in, but I'm not there. To change your mind, right? The book better be entertaining first and foremost. Um, if you're right. gonna, if you're going to get people to even hear the principles. But I mean, like my 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 character, Repairman Jack. He's awesome. In the, 
in the tomb. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's been called the libertarian's wet dream. Um, <laughs> well, it, Repairman Jack, if I could just uh, briefly, um, Repairman Jack sort of uh, lives off the grid. Mm-hmm. He has no social security number. He, uh, you know, buys gold coins, um, you know, that kind of thing. He's like some of our listeners. He's, he's off, like a lot of our listeners. Yeah. Right, yeah. He's never filled out a 1040. Right. And he has no social security number. He, you know, he grew up in a time when, uh, you know, it wasn't until like the mid-80s where you really had to have one, I think. Mm-hmm. Really? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, sort of as a kid, there came a point where when your child was born, you had to get him a social security number. Right. Uh, so, it, when I was a kid, you didn't ha- necess- kids didn't necessarily have social security numbers. Uh, I was born in 1971, and you had to get one to work by the time you were 16, but you weren't ne- necessarily given one at birth. Right, and, you, and the thing is, you know, the only reason I ever got one when I was a kid was that I was, you know, I had hired on at this bottle cap factory, you mm-hmm. know, making bottle caps, and I needed a social security number for them to give me a check. But the thing is, before that, I had mowed lawns, and I had worked with a, a landscaper who paid cash, mm-hmm. and I never needed one for that. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, you know, that, that was part of an underground economy without really knowing it. Hmm. Um, but getting back to what you said, um, I, I, I think libertarianism lends itself very well to science fiction, not well to what I do. I, I mean, basically, my, my, I do paranormal thrillers with Jack. Mm-hmm. And, um, but see, it's his lifestyle that sort of gives the the libertarian, you know, if that's the conduit for the libertarian view, right? Um, it, it's but, very unique the way um, you present it to people with the uh, with this lifestyle. Yeah, I guess it is. Um, but my whole idea is, I, I don't want to hit you over the head because I think I can influence you better if you if I show you rather than tell you. I would agree with that. Right, you want to when tease I, people along, right? Just sort of well, give them, I, get them a little bit, give them a little bit more, that sort of well, thing. Well, the thing is, when I when when I show you something, uh, it's it's like the thing where the author tells the reader, "Oh, he was the cheapest man in town." Okay, the reader, that's just passive right. acceptance. You've got to so show when, him how cheap he is. When you show him stealing pennies out of the little change thing by the you know cash register <laughs> and, and sticking him in his pocket. Take a now penny, take them all. The, the reader has made the decision, and the reader is now a participant in the story. Mm-hmm. They have invested in it because they have now you know, contributed. And so it sounds like you know, juggling words, and it sounds like it, it's you know, uh, a bunch of bo- uh, you know, gobbledygook. But the thing is, that, that really works in fiction. And you make the reader part of the story because they've now participated. And that's the way I try to try to write for all things, not just for the libertarian aspects, but to you know, get the reader to participate in the story. So the Repairman Jack is a, it's a series of books. How many, how many different Repairman Jack books are there out there? Mm, oh, here we go. Um, I just finished number 11. Wow, so, wow. Uh, which will be out in uh, October. Would that be your longest-running series of any sort? Oh, yeah, yeah. The longest-running series I had before this was three books. Now, Repairman Jack premiered in the 80s, and I got the impression he wasn't, uh, you know, an old man. You know, he's maybe 30 years old or something like that in the 80s. How uh, Is he he progressively aging, or are you sort of keeping him at the same uh, age? Well, what I did, 
I fudged it. You mean basically, I wrote the first book, The Tomb, in 1984. Mm-hmm. And by the time I had finished it, I said, oh, this is a serious character. I mean, people are going to want to see I, I just knew people were going to want more of him. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do a serious character. And I had two. I had already had the next two books written in my head, and they didn't involve him. Mm-hmm. So I left him dying at the end. Right. I didn't kill him. I left him dying. Right. And um, the thing is, the book never went out of print. Wow. People kept and buying so, and so year after year after year, there were more readers and more people. Back then, you had to write letters right. you know, <laughs> writing me and uh, saying, you know, bring him back, bring him back, bring him back. Clamoring and, for more Repairman Jack. Yes. Now, um, Repairman Jack's uh, venturing into a, a very exciting area, um, and we're going to talk about that when we get back. Okay, 800-259-9231. We're on with F. Paul Wilson. He is a self-proclaimed libertarian author of uh, science fiction slash thriller type books. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. If you've got a question for him, you best get on the line. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. Bring up what you want toll-free at 800-259-9231. That is the packet8.net toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features there are totally free, though we do ask you voluntarily support the show by going and voting for the show at vote.freetalklive.com, something that takes only a moment but makes a big difference because the more votes we have, the higher we are on the podcast rankings at podcastalley.com. Last month, we finished the month at number one. We can do it again with your vote. If you go to vote freetalklive.com as we go back to F. Paul Wilson libertarian thriller author uh, some uh, I, I presume bestsellers have you had any bestsellers uh, F. Paul Wilson oh yeah I uh, the tomb was uh, top 10 on the uh, on the New York Times the keep was like it was top 10 and right. uh, the last repairman Jack novel they were both in paperback mm-hmm. uh, the last repairman Jack novel made the uh, the New York Times list in hardcover was the first time I've ever been on in hardcover. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty significant. You're selling a lot of books to do that. So, Mark, you had a line of questioning that you were going on. Um, so, well, do you want to continue that? I was just, uh, you know, uh, just trying to find out how um, libertarianism has uh, affected, uh, you know, your career throughout the years. Um, you know, if if uh, do, have people said, you know, this has changed my life? Uh, did people get introduced uh, to As libertarianism? A I bet they have. Yes, and it's scary. <laughs> um, because then, you know, as as the Chinese say, now you are responsible for that person's <laughs> life. Um, now people have read An Enemy of the State, which is my really my libertarian manifesto. Mm-hmm. And um, it was my third science fiction novel. And they've come up to me and said, you changed my life. I, I never really realized. And this is the kind of stuff that they just don't see in school. Right, sure. And it was basically based on it was it was a revolution where um, our our hero, the revolutionary, used the economics of a a statist regime against itself. Now it, that's that was sort of done in uh, in the Lenang Chronicles too, right? Yes, that's what I mean. That was I mean, the state was part of the Lenang Chronicles. Oh, I see. Lenang Chronicles is actually a compilation of three books. Gotcha. 
Um, I, I didn't I didn't know that it had said Lenang Chronicles on the cover, so I figured that's what it was. So we actually talk a lot here on Free Talk Live about how we can dismantle the state as as far as possible. Mark is a minarchist; he wants to keep some of it around. I guess uh, I don't really not sure why. I like the but, FAA. I don't want uh, airplanes crashing into my house. But generally, we have conversations about what the best way is to uh, to get rid of this uh, beast that we know of as the state. How did you do it in, uh, or how did they do it in that novel? What do you think the is there is it something that could apply in the real world today? Um, well, you know, I, I, I based it on the Weimar Republic, what I did, and how to, you know, create that type of hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that really, you know, brought down the empire. So that's that's Germany before Hitler um, got yeah, into power? Okay. Yes. And um, it, w- it was a surreal time. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've ever read anything about it. Yeah. Um, People taking, uh, you know, wheelbarrows full of money. Wheelbarrows full of money. And there's a a story, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but there's a story about a lady waiting with this basket full of money on line for bread. Some guy comes along, knocks her down, grabs the basket, runs off, and leaves the money. Oh, my. They were only printing the the money on one side at that time. They couldn't afford the ink. Wow. Amazing. And then they were overprinting other bills. I mean, I used to have some of them where... It would say like it was fifty thousand marks, and then it would be overprinted with a hundred thousand marks. Man, and they just so they just double it up, double it up. So wait, in the story, so the uh, the protagonist managed to manage to inflate the money supply somehow. Well, the money supply was inflated. And he just exacerbated it. How? Um, I forget. <laughs> Print his own? Well, no, 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 no. He went through a, a lot of uh, you know he, he would uh, sort of. Uh, uh, distribute these flyers that uh, shook people's, uh, you know, um, confidence in the money, and mm-hmm. and you know, just through uh, other, he he would steal the money and then distribute it to people and just give it away like Robin Hood would, and mm-hmm. and um, he also had a uh, super rich millionaire guy who, uh, um, you know, he bought it all up or sold it all at all the right times or something like that, and and basically, uh, you know, ended up crashing the money supply, which it, when a government Prints its own money. That's all it is. It is a system for protecting that money. Right. Sounds like something that really could only happen in a book. I don't know if that's something we could really extrapolate out. Right. No, you, you can't extrapolate. It, it was, you know, but the thing was, it was an education in um, economics, basically. Right. Fiat of, of currency and all economics. that. Yeah. And because it was written in the, in the 70s when the... Uh, you know, the money supply was was going crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the M3 was just skyrocketing, and, and I just saw this as a way to, you know, just maybe raise a little consciousness while I'm telling a good story, what I hope was a good story. Now, I hear you're a doctor. Yeah. Or, yeah. like, do you work on patients still, or? A day and a half a week. A day and a half a week, oh, wow. I see. Huh. Yeah, I just keep my hand in it. It's just one of those things where... I'm in that Michael Corleone situation where I keep trying to get out and they keep sucking me back. <laughs> you know? I uh, see that. Now, uh, Repairman Jack has a, a big announcement. Uh, could you tell us about that? Well, you know, it's it's not a big announcement in that. You know, the, the movie's been in development for 11 years, but it finally looks like they've got a script that everybody agrees on. And so uh. now they're going to the next stage of, you know, going after a director and a star. What sort of level of involvement as uh, the author of the books do you have in uh, in this process? Well, you know, the, the operative word is sell. So when you sell the movie rights, 
Mm-hmm. You don't own them anymore. Right. And so they have, they can do whatever they damn well please. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I always think of um, the, the uh, oh, Lawrence Block. He had a, a second story burglar character uh-huh. um, who he sold the book, you know, the series to the movies and, and they, they turned the, you know, we wound up with Whoopi Goldberg, you know, oh, the Jewish the burglar. Like a story uh, robber, and it wound up with Whoopi Goldberg playing the park. So but the I mean, uh, they, so you've you've essentially sold uh, the uh, not the entire intellectual property, but the rights to create the movie on right. Repairman Jack. Yeah. Do you feel like your vision will be um, will be infringed to us to a certain extent, or will it go? Uh, they can't help but infringe. I right. mean, the keep was made into a Michael. You know, the keep was made into a movie back in '83. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Mann was the director writer, and he just did an absolutely horrible job. It was really? a critical and financial flop mm-hmm. for Paramount. Um, he doesn't even mention it when you know when you, his latest movie comes out. He mentions all his movies. He doesn't <laughs> mention the keep. My goodness. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he just, he's a very arrogant person. Mm. And, um, you yeah, know, he just thought he knew better than anybody else. And, was... You know, I had spent years working this novel together so that all the, you know, the cards would hold up the next layer of cards. You know, mm-hmm. it's a house of cards. And he started grabbing things off the bottom. Yeah. And I, I wrote him, I said, you know, this is going to fall apart. You know, and... No, he didn't. He wouldn't even deign to answer me. I see. So, and it did fall apart. You know, so I got like half star reviews and That's headlines that. like you, you know, keep you can keep the keep or keep away from the keep. You know, those <laughs> kind of things. Well, luck. I'm sure that I, let's hope the Repairman Jack movie does better than that. Well, you know, they've been all over the map over the last eleven years, and um, like flavor of the month. And they've been a lot of screenwriters, a lot of scripts. So they finally went back to the book, and I saw you know, the, the new script came in last month, and it's great. Okay, good. It's really true to the book, true to the character. Um, so they're sort of keeping of my, you in the loop then. Some 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 of the stuff that I wanted to put in, you know, the head of the studio was uncomfortable with, you know, like um, uh, Jack and this this woman are walking along, and you know. She's talking about her brother, who's really the villain of the thing. You know, so he's gotten into this um, radical Hinduism, and you know, mm. you know Jack. You know, Jack says, you know, mix religion and politics, and people start dying. And she says, well, "What's your? What are your politics?" And he says, "Well, how about a low yield thermonuclear device during a joint session of Congress, preferably, <laughs> preferably with the the galleries full of lobbyists." Ooh, yeah, the, the lobbyists are what uh, is killing us. Now, it's... Oh, wait, and she says, she she said that's I call that harsh. And he says I call that a start. Nice, <laughs> but it's not in the script anymore. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be hard to reconcile uh, libertarian attitudes with the people in Hollywood for sure. Yeah, oh, now, definitely. For the, for those who um, haven't heard of F. Paul Wilson, uh, what where would you recommend they start as far as uh, reading? I would say that the the, the tomb is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the start of the Repairman Jack series, and um, you know I, I I put off doing a, a, a second Repairman Jack novel for 14 years, but finally in 1998 I had a I had a novel that he had to be in, and I did that, and I haven't stopped. F. Paul Wilson, do you have a website? 
RepairmanJack.com. Easy enough. It's been awesome. great having you on the show. Thank you very much Thank for you. coming on Free Talk here. Live. We appreciate Good it. Hour number two is on the way. You can take control of the airwaves. More about Imus or whatever's on your mind, this is your show. It's Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and we're launching in hour number two. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That would be the packet 8.net toll-free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features there, completely free, including the wiki. Over 1,200 pages created by listeners just like you. It's like the listener-editable version of our website. See what I mean by heading over to wiki. That's W-I-K-I dot freetalklive dot com. Well, last hour we started things out by talking about the latest in the Don Imus situation. Mm -hmm. He has been completely fired at this point. Yesterday he still had his radio job. They'd fired him from the TV show. Right. Now he's done. And it started out with uh, just a two-week suspension. But right. then they went to the uh, firing on MSNBC, and now he's fired from CBS. Correct. So, and uh, CBS is also the owner of the radio station that he was working at. Right. So he's lost both. He's lost all three things. He's lost his television show. He's lost his radio syndication gig, and he's lost his radio show. Don Imus, uh, from what we can um, extrapolate from the news articles, Don Imus will not be doing a radio show tomorrow morning anywhere. That's how it seems. Yeah. And I don't know how soon you're going to see him back if he comes back. I personally could care less. I've I've, I've heard the guy's show. I don't think it's so great. Well, I thought it's uh, I thought it was pretty boring. I think his, he has some sidekicks that are that are on the funny side. Mm -hmm. uh, but Don Don himself, he is not uh, something I enjoy listening to. I've listened to his show before, and uh, you know the things stick out in my mind about it. I. It's certainly a professionally done radio show. It's not my favorite out there. Um, well, you don't get to be 65 in radio and not learn a thing or two, for right. sure. Um, so the question is, will he pop up again? Will he essentially just retire, throw in the towel at this point, as he probably should have done five years ago? Or, uh, or will he come back into semi-obscurity on some smaller market radio station, like in a uh, you know a, a number ten through twenty style market? Or will he pull a Howard Stern and end up on or on Sirius satellite and, um, or XM? Well, we or do both? know we do know that he did give a shout out to his friends Opie and Anthony on the air today, mm -hmm. and I guess they kind of they they pal around to some extent. And of course, as you know, Opie and Anthony are tied in pretty heavily at XM. In fact, I believe they have the ability, a la Howard Stern, mm -hmm. to program their own channels. Oh, really? So, who knows? Maybe they'll just bring Don onto, uh, onto satellite radio. It would sure um, you know, it would sure be a victory for Don. Um, it would show, hey, look, I don't need you guys. Even if he's not getting yeah. the money that he was at CBS or anything like that, it doesn't, you know, there's no break in my stride, baby. Well, you know, it's kind of like uh, what F. Paul, Re F. Paul Wilson was talking about last hour. He uh, Not only is he a libertarian author, but he's also a doctor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the old thing, well, he keeps trying to break away from it, but they keep pulling him back. It's the same thing with radio. I mean, when you're away from that microphone, you, you want to have it back in front it's of you. It's absolutely true. I don't, even, I don't like my Sundays. I, I get yeah. cranky and uh, depressed on Sundays because I don't have a radio <laughs> show to, to, to do. So he's, uh, you know, he's probably going to be sitting there. If he's in re semi-retirement, he's going to be wishing he had that mic in front of him. And, and if XM comes to him with a tenth of the 
the the the money that CBS was paying him, he might just take it just so he could go back. I would think he would. Um, now, speaking of, uh, I'm just palling around with Opie and Anthony. How how come we don't have any radio people to pal around with? Um, I don't know. Yeah, we don't have any like anything like. I that. don't want to pal around with any no, other you radio don't. people. You, you, they'd have to come to your house. I'm busy enough. Yeah, All right, whatever. so we, you, we were starting an email by a uh, black gentleman. Email. It's an article. An article. Excuse me. Um, where's it appearing at? Um, it's it's a it's a column, so it's uh, appears in lots of different places. Syndicated column, right? Uh, it's uh, by Jason Whitlock. Okay, and he has a few things to say. About mm-hmm. this. He says, "Thank you, Don Imus. You've given us that's black people an excuse to avoid our real problem. You've given Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson another opportunity to pretend the old um, that the old fight, which is now the safe and lucrative fight, is still the most important fight in our push for true economic and social equality." You've given Vivian Stringer and Rutgers the chance to hold a nationally televised recruiting celebration, expertly disguised as a news conference, to respond to your poorly, poor attempt at humor. Thank you, Don Imus. You extended Black History Month to April. And we can once again wallow in victimhood, protest like it's 1965, and delude ourselves into believing that fixing your hatred is more necessary than eradicating our own self-hatred. The bigots win again. Well, we're fixated on a bad joke cracked by an irrelevant, bad shock jock. He's I'm, pretty much irrelevant. Uh, I, I, I certainly haven't talked about him in a long time. Yeah. I'm sure at least one of the marvelous young women at Rutgers basketball team is somewhere snapping her fingers to the beat of 50 Cent or Snoop Dogg's or Young Jay-Z's latest ode to glorifying nappy-headed pimps and hoes. Mm. Now, this is a black guy using the term nappy-headed, not me. Um, I ain't saying Jesse, Al, and Vivian are gold diggers. But they, that's that's uh that's a uh, line out of a uh, some rap song that I've heard before. Oh. I ain't saying she's a gold I'll take your digger. Word for it. Um, it's it's a Kanye West. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Who that's I right. pronounced as Kane for yeah. a long time. <laughs> gotcha. Um, they don't have the uh, heart to mount a legitimate campaign against the real black folk killers. It is us, and this time we are our own worst enemies. We have allowed our youths to buy into um, a culture, that's hip-hop, that's been perverted, corrupted, and overtaken by prison culture. The music, attitude, and behavior expressed in this culture is anti-black, anti-education, demeaning, self-destructive, pro-drug dealing, and violent. Rather than um, confront this heinous enemy from within, we sit back and wait for someone like Imus to have a slip of the tongue and make the mistake of repeating the things we say about ourselves. It's embarrassing. Yeah, there aren't very nice things said in uh, many many gangster uh, rap songs. Yeah, I, you know, it th- they bother me. They they um not just they make me uncomfortable to listen to. It it makes me sad for people that uh, that think it's cool. Now I thought a lot of dumb criminal things were cool when I was uh, you know, in my late teens and early twenties. But I thought only uh, only teenage white kids listen to that stuff. I didn't realize that black people actually listen to it too. No, absolutely, that's not true. <laughs> Um, they certainly are bought, are purchased, but I think like seventy percent. But those CD sales, mm-hmm. uh, rap sales, seventy mm-hmm. percent I believe are purchased by young white males. Well, there's a lot more young white male, yeah. males in the country than there are young black males. Okay, but um, he would know he is a a black man. So it says it's embarrassing. Dave Chappelle has offered fifty million to make racially insensitive jokes about black and white people on TV. He was hailed as a genius. Black comedians routinely... He is funny. He is funny, funny really, man. really funny. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. That one where he's uh, pretending to be, um, you know, playing Prince uh, and in basketball and Prince and the Revolution in basketball, that's, that's some of the funniest crap I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Like Prince whoops him in basketball and then makes him waffles. <laughs> it's nice. Really funny stuff. 
<laughs> and I can't make it nearly as funny as he could. Sure. Have, you know, um, black comedians routinely crack jokes about white and black people. We all laugh out loud. I'm no Don Imus apologist, and he and his tiny companion, Mike Lupicia, uh, blasted me after I felt uh, fell out with in, in ESPN. Imus is a hack. But in my view, he didn't do anything outside the norm for shock jocks and comedians. He's also offered an apology. That should have been the end of this whole affair. Yeah, I agree. Instead, it's only the beginning. It's an opportunity for Stringer, Jackson, Sharpton to step into victim platforms and elevate themselves and their agendas. I watched the Rutgers news conference and was ashamed. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke for eight minutes in 1963 at the march um, in Washington, D.C. At the time, black people could be lynched and denied fundamental rights with with little thought. With the comments of a talk show host most of uh, her players had never heard of before last week, serving as her excuse, Vivian Stringer rambled on for 30 minutes about the amazing season her team had. Hmm. Somehow, we're supposed to believe that the comments of a man who, with virtually no connection to the the sports world, ruined Rutgers' wonderful season, (laughs) had a broadcaster with credibility and uh, a platform in the sports world uttered the words I misdid, I could understand a level of outrage. But... An hour-long press conference of a man who has already apologized, already been suspended, and is already insignificant is just plain intellectually dishonest. Hmm. This is opportunism. This is a distraction. In the grand scheme, Don Imus is no threat to us in general and no threat to black women in particular. If his words are so powerful and so destructive and must be rebuked so forcibly then what should we do about the idiot rappers on BET, MTV, and every black-owned radio station in the country who use words much more powerful and much more destructive? I don't listen or watch Imus's show well, regularly. okay. They're black. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, you know, there's... I, Apparently, they get a pass, and, and I, I, I see where he's coming from I see this. where he's coming from. I don't... I think there's a difference, okay? If I use the term cracker on referring to white people yeah you know i i are one so it um or mostly um so it doesn't really matter but if i use the n-word um it, it can really offend people so but he didn't use the n he did not use the n-word and didn't use anything close to it what he said so, was pretty lightweight in comparison as he's right. pointing out to what these rap artists uh, many there's, of them there's a lot of about. self-deprecation going on in, in the uh the rap industry 1-800-259-9231 your comments your show free talk live That's the Packet8.net toll-free line, and you can take control of the airwaves. That's why we call the show Free Talk Live, because you're free to call in and talk about what you want. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com, where we've got updates. You get signed up, we clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. You'll know first if you're on the updates list at updates.freetalklive.com. In fact, I sent out an update today because we've got some brand new Shriners up on our website. Uh, go ahead and take a look. Uh, there's Ellen and Rissy, both on our shrine now. Uh, mm-hmm. You can see what I mean by going to shrine.freetalklive.com. But again, if you're on the updates list, you know these things first. So I find out. Yeah, 800-259-9231. Hopefully we'll be sending an update sometime tomorrow, maybe tonight, though, probably more likely tomorrow. I was on the air with uh, Chick Chat last week. Oh, were you? Yeah. Um, I did a nice little 20-minute long interview with them about of all things, my vasectomy. Oh, I was going to wonder, I, what, what would you ha- possibly have to talk to these gals about? I mean, they do a 
they do a chick chat show. They right. their little advertisement in the uh, the magazines are uh, is it Democratic Party? Choose your party. Repu- yeah, choose your party. Republican Party, Democratic Party, or cocktail, cocktail. party? And they've got I love cocktail it. I think it's check. a great ad. It is a great ad, but I mean, it does sort of show that there's uh, you know what do you have to say to uh, some gals like this? But apparently, it's uh, you know you you got a vasectomy, you got it very young. Right. Well, we were at the uh, the, the talk radio conference mm-hmm. a few months ago, and or a month or so ago. In Los Angeles, and the mm-hmm. Chick Chat girls were there, and we mm-hmm. met them last year at one of the other conferences. And they're nice, and I like them. very nice ladies. And they're they're doing something similar to what we are in that they're they're an independent show as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, also a, a duo, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, but they don't do. They're um, sort of kindred to us in some ways. Yeah. So uh, we were. I was chatting with them at uh, one of the little shindigs that they had, and you had gone. I think. I think you had left um, at this. I point. go to bed early. I'm an old man. Right. And so I was just hanging out with them, and I don't know how we got into the topic of my vasectomy, but it happened, and they <laughs> got all excited about it, and, uh, and they wanted to have me on their show. So they didn't ask to see your scars or anything, right? No. Thank no, God. I would have showed them. I know you would have. <laughs> I know you would have. So uh, that will be going online soon, and you'll get access to it. All right. Eight hundred. Two five nine ninety two thirty one. Talking about IMIS, it's a uh, it's a free speech issue, and it's important. Yep. And I think that uh, the wrong thing has has occurred here. I don't think I think they went way too far with all of this. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, we're reading an article from apparently a former sports commentator of some sort, a uh, a, a, a a black gentleman who's Jason commenting. Jason Whitlock. Jesse Whitlock commenting. Jason. Jason, and he's pointing out that he thinks that what's going on in the world of rap music is far more detrimental than what anything. Don Imus could possibly have said. Uh, and, you know, that uh, that rap artists get away with saying a lot more destructive things, uh, you know, that, that encourage black youth to in, into crime and, um, you know, self-deprecate them. Right. The word ho is probably popular today because of rap music more so than anything else. I would say that's true. Uh, Jason goes on, I, I don't listen or watch Imus' show regularly. Me neither. Has he, has he at any point glorified selling crack cocaine to black women? Has he celebrated black men shooting each other randomly? Has he suggested in any way that it's cool to be a baby daddy rather than a husband and parent? Mm. Does he tell his listeners that they're suckers for pursuing education and that they're selling out their race if they do? When Imus does any of that, huh. call me and I'll get upset. Until uh, is that what they're saying in rap songs these days? That I, absolutely they're you're saying. selling out your race for getting educated? Uh, what is this? What? Well, um, it's even it's cool. I mean, even bitches and hoes and drugs I've heard of, but you know as well as I do that it's not cool to be smart in school. True, Especially I just thought that was public just a, school. I just thought that was just a general thing amongst anyone at public school. I didn't realize they were actually uh, I saying think it's even it was more selling so, out their race. I think it's even more so um, for for blacks. Hmm. I think it's more so. Um, at least I've gotten that impression, um, not just from this article. When Imus does any of that, call me. I'll get upset. Until then, he is what he is—a washed-up shock jock who is. Very easy to ignore when you're not looking to be made a victim. Yep. No, we all know the real where the b- real battleground is. We know that the gangsta rappers, gangsta rappers, um, and their followers in the athletic world have far bigger platforms to negatively define us than some old white man with a bad radio show. There's no money and lots of danger in that battle. So Jesse and Al are going to sit it out. Um, that battle being the the battle to uh, shut down the rappers and the uh, yeah. the ath- athletes. I don't. That'll I, make them real unpopular real fast, don't you think? Yeah, I. I don't. It's easy for them to attack um, Don Imus because you know he's the uh, the old white guy on mm-hmm. the radio and he's just you know he's just fumbling around for words. Right. But to attack uh, one of these multi million dollar platinum selling um, music artists mm-hmm. with huge 
fans that are also people that listen to to the things that you have to say if you are um, Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a bit iconoclastic, don't you think? Yeah, it's going to it, it is. And I would think it'd be a really great stance for uh, Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton to uh you it know, would take some to courage. call them out. Yeah, it would to, take to say, some look, um, you know, the, the the words you're using and the ideas you're spouting right. are really anti-black. Yeah, it's easy to go after a doddering old man on the radio. Mm-hmm. Not so easy to go after, uh, you know, some younger people that are very, very popular. And I think Jason w- Jason Whitlock hit the nail right on the head with this one. I I think that there's no miss in this, and I and I really appreciate that he got the opportunity to, uh, you know, put out the syndicated column, um, you know, during the Imus controversy yeah, absolutely. And, and state it. Let's go to the phones and talk to Joe in Maine. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, what's up, Ian and Mark? Hey, what's on your mind? Um, I just basically, I am um, on the, on the, um, the Imus thing. Mm-hmm. I've watched him, like, probably seen him, like, twice on TV, mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> I kind of agree with what you're saying. And but the thing that the thing that I'm like trying to call about is he what he said was wrong point blank. Sure. Oh yeah, it was it wrong, was, no doubt about it. Line. But does he deserve to be fired over it? I don't think so. I, you know something I don't know. I I don't know. You know it's it's I I guess it's it's part of that corporate thing. And if you listen to Alex Jones and all that stuff, I think you know where I'm going with that. No, but, I, I have no you know, idea, is, and I don't listen to Alex Jones. Yeah, okay. Uh, but anyways, I grew up in Chelsea, Mass, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know if you want to refer to that as a diverse area. There's a lot of different nationalities there. Mm-hmm. And basically, we grew up, you know, I, when I was back in my 20s, listening to the rap music, the whole, you know, the whole thing. Right. And the N-word flowed like butter. Sure. For the most part. <laughs> it really does. And... <laughs> and, and I think it's anyways, I think it's worse I think what than. What I'm going with this is that you know, like, if you were of of, of Spanish ethnic or you know what I mean, Hispanic, mm-hmm. Asians, any other nationale could you know, like, in front of black people, say the N word, mm-hmm. and you know, eyes wouldn't pop open wide. Right. Really? It's, it's like, but as soon as yeah, no, serious. Huh. But a white person says it, and the earth cracks. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> I, didn't re- I didn't realize you know? that that was going on. I would think that it would be equally offensive coming from a Hispanic or coming from... Uh, no, from but believe me when I tell you, it doesn't go that way. Yeah, and um, that is, that's the kind of thing that, like, you know, I'm so sick of this in-your-face, white cracker, um, you know, it, I, I, I don't know. It's... I could go on and on about this, but I don't want to take up all kinds of time. But when you say you're sick of the in-your-face white cracker, I don't understand what you what you. Well, mean. No, no, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. My apologies. Um, I think what I'm sick of is the the racial in-your-face thing. It's kind of like you know the same thing like with the the gay in-your-face thing. It, it, um, you're saying you're tired of people. You're, you're saying you're tired of people being so offended over these things. Yeah, it's just it's like it's you know. Advanced in life, will ya? Joe, thanks yeah. for the call. We appreciate it. 800-259-9231. I see where he's coming from on that. You know, um, don't get so bogged down with uh, what some old old man said on the radio. Move on and uh, make your lives better, and don't worry about what he said. He's, he has no real bearing on your life, does it? One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. 
This is Free Talk Live, your show. Bring up what you want toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features there, completely free. We give them away, and that does include the, sh- uh, the Shrine of Female listeners, the bulletin board system, and more. We do ask that you voluntarily support the show by buying some stuff over at Amazon. FreeTalkLive.com. See, when you enter Amazon through that web link, FreeTalkLive gets a percentage of anything you purchase. So once again, that's Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. In fact, one of our uh, listeners emailed in what I thought was a very good suggestion. I think somebody has made it in the past, but it's so good it's worth making again. I don't know if this is the right time of year for it, but he points out, hey, wanted to shoot you a quick email and suggest that when you mention Amazon, mention textbooks. You've got a large college fan base, and every quarter, every three months or semester, students shell out hundreds of dollars each for textbooks. Mm -hmm. My wife and I are full-time students, and the college bookstore would have set us back $850 this semester. However, from Amazon, we only spent about $400. Wow, that's a big savings. That's significant. Yeah. Uh, so you could tell them that not only do they save a lot of money, they support the great this great show as well. So there you go. 50% off, I mean, is what he saved on his college books. And a percentage of that $400 went to Free Talk Live. I think we're right in the middle of a semester, so I wonder how useful that information is. I think we should... Keep it in mind. We should uh, announce it in uh, June, and right. uh, we should announce it in... I guess uh, you know uh, maybe September or I August, and then Christ- I haven't been in college Christmas. in a long time. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Anyway, whether it's books, whether it's movies, whether it's furniture, office products, or baby stuff, I mean it's all there. Groceries. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Talking about uh, the Don Imus situation, a lot of people uh, have a lot to say on this. Mm-hmm. And uh, Justine Nicholas at LouRockwell.com chiming in. I don't like Imus. Leave him alone, is the name of the article. So Don Imus just got his program yanked off the air, at least for the time being. And that will improve race relations and the overall quality of life in the United States. How? How? (laughs) Well, I would suspect that, if anything, cashiering Imus will have almost entirely the opposite effect of what white liberals and some black uh, black activists claim to want. Namely, to ensure that no one will be exposed to offensive speech ever again. And if you hear, if you uh, take what Al Sharpton said today into context, that's exactly what these people are pushing for. Mm-hmm. He's saying this is just the beginning. Don Imus is the tip of the iceberg. They want to have talks, presumably with government people, yeah, who else the FCC, about? about what should be allowed on the airwaves. We're still, says Justine, banishing one of the bad boys of radio from the airwaves will tug tense relations even tighter and make him a folk hero in some quarters. How's that, you ask? Well, let's start with the attempt to stamp out racist rants. And I don't even know if you could qualify what Don Imus said as a rant. No, but I'm um, you know slip he, of the tongue. He certainly has gotten a a, a, a a disproportionate amount of attention for what he said. Here we can apply one lesson we should all have learned from the so-called war on drugs. The supply might be cut off, but will remain so only momentarily. And no attempt to stop the flow of what people want will suppress their demand for it. Because the illegal economy follows basically the same laws of economics as officially sanctioned markets, cutting off supplies or making people believe that they've been cut off simply makes it possible for dealers to demand higher prices. Thus, prohibitionists make meeting demands for whatever has been banned even more lucrative. And, as we know, profits motivate resourceful people to be even more so. That's why the result of any major drug bust is the same. New narcomongers take the place of those who are arrested and they simply use different routes and means to get the product to their customers. So to follow the war on drugs analogy, 
even if the FCC itself were to ban Imus from doing radio broadcasts in the United States, and enough people wanted to hear him, someone would broadcast him from some offshore location, a ship, perhaps. And if said broadcaster were smart, he or she would transmit the show over the Internet. That way, anyone who had a computer and absolutely had to have his fix of the dawn with their morning coffee could be sated. A really shrewd broadcaster would somehow find a way to charge listeners for hearing what they want, like the satellite guys are doing. And if the government should make it so difficult for Imus' insults to reach his loyal fans, they would want and be willing to pay even more to hear him. Now, that crowd doesn't include me, says Justine. I listened to him for a few weeks when he first became popular way back in the day. I quickly tired of him. Somehow, I just couldn't cotton to a man on the verge of middle age who talked and otherwise behaved like a boy about to enter puberty. During the time I listened to him, I realized that his attempts at titillating his core audience with racial, ethnic, gender, and sexual stereotyping simply fell flat because they were so far off their marks, such as the case with the nappy-headed hose comment. Yes, the majority of the young women on the Rutgers basketball team were black, and some of them had nappy hair. So what? I've yet to hear any lucid explanation of how hairstyles relate to a team's success or lack thereof. Taking a cut at some athlete's coiffure... Coiffure? Uh, yeah, that's uh, the hair French style. word for hair. I, I've never known how to pronounce it, and I, I think it's coif. Coif? Yeah, Coiffure? I, Makes just about as much sense as criticizing a successful capitalist for wearing starched white collars and diamond cufflinks. Imus's use of hoe is a thornier issue, to be sure. As someone who's experienced discrimination for being part of three different minority groups, I can understand why the Rutgers players would be offended and simply hurt. Ho has never been used as anything but a derogatory term. I've heard the argument that because black hip-hoppers use it, as well as the N-word, and uh, young black males emulate their example, excoriating Imus or any other white person for using it creates a double standard. Such an argument misses the essential point, that ho has a very different context and intention than the N-word. The latter term started as a racist pejorative and was appropriated by young black males who believe that it's an acknowledgement of solidarity. Uh, She says, I still don't like and refuse to use the term. In other words, as awful as its origins and intentions might be, it refers to racial identity. On the other hand, ho, which is a contraction of whore, reflects the crudest and most unjust gender stereotype of all. Right. It's basically saying that uh, all women are hookers to some extent or another and uh, therefore should be identified as such. Any man who uses it is not trying to affirm his kinship with members of his race. Rather, he is echoing the misogyny that too many males have absorbed. When a young woman works hard enough to become the valedictorian of her class to win a scholarship, keep her grades high enough to keep the scholarship and structure her days so she can practice well enough to become one of the best in her sport, one could hardly call her a hoe. Right. In fact, what may be motivating such a woman is, is her desire to, be, to escape being so labeled. She may have grown up hearing boys and men in her neighborhood say, they are all bitches and hoes. How does one make a plural of, of hoe anyway? Hoes are garden implements, she says. Or they may simply want to become confident, accomplished, self-sufficient professionals. That doesn't sound like a description of a hoe, at least not to me. Of course, most of Imus's listeners are probably not so attuned to the nuances of language. That is precisely the reason they listen to him. If they've ever thought about remarks like nappy-headed hoes, they would realize that they are irrelevant to the subjects at hand and therefore simply don't make any sense. As long as his listeners don't... And true... I mean, that comment doesn't have any relevance to the success of that basketball team. 
As long as his listeners don't have such a realization or don't pay attention to it, they'll continue to want their dose of dawn in the morning. And if radio station executives shun him or the FCC bans him, such fans will see him as one of their own, excoriated by bloodthirsty rabble-rousers who can't get over their history and are protected by government bureaucrats with too much time on their hands. Do you think that the scenarios I've described will change or stop Imus's mindless chatter or his audience's appetite for it? Do you think they'll lead to greater understanding and mutual appreciation between whites and blacks or men and women? Seems unlikely. If you answered yes to either of these questions, let me bring you to Don Imus's studio. It has a great view of the bridge that I want to sell you. <laughs> Let's go to Dave in Montana listening on KGEZ. Hey, Dave. Hey, how you doing? I think he's only guilty of an old senior guy who was fumbling around trying to choose words to call a woman tough, I think. You know, he's trying like, to be cool. That's what he, uh, that's, right. that's he how was. Using, he, was, he was thinking he was being hip and modern, and he's going to, like, but there is no words for a tough woman if you think about it, you know, and he... Broad, maybe? <laughs> huh? Broad, maybe? Well, no, see, that not not... It, well, like in the game sense, you know, like, you know, he was a brute or, you know, something like that. But you right, can't the term use broad is going to get offended. I mean, people well, are going to get now, offended at that. Well, you, if you picture in your mind, you don't want to mess with no tattooed hoes, man. You know, they, yeah. they get mad at you. You know, they're tough. Do you, think you know, that, uh, do you think that what happened to Don was a little bit too much? Oh, yeah, they're ripping him apart way too much. I think he's just an old guy that was fumbling around for words, and he picked the wrong ones. Do you think he's going to be coming back, or is he out? Is he done? I think he should, I don't know. He could try to make it. He's too old. You know? That's how, kind of how I feel. Dave, thanks for the call. 800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves. On the way, Wasted Votes. Talk Live, you bring up what you want. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. That's the packet8.net toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We give away all the features there, and that does include the bulletin board system. Over 200,000 posts away to over 1,300 people interacting. A lot of fun. You'll enjoy it. bbs.freetalklive.com. And there are serious issues being discussed there as well, including, I'm sure, uh, posts on this whole IMAS controversy and a variety of other things. And it's all for free. bbs.freetalklive.com. We are going to the amplifier line and to Rob in Georgia. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, guys. Hey, Sorry Rob. to be back so quickly on this, actually. No, <laughs> no problem. What's on your mind? Well, I was listening to you guys talking about Jason Whitlock's article. Uh, I had not actually read it. I uh, just I heard it while I was actually headed home from you guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's it is he does have a lot of things correct in this article. And I hear you know right now you know traditionally the uh, the the I guess the black intelligentsia has predominantly been what I would call leftist. Mm-hmm. And there is a growing sort of rightist movement. A, cultural conservative movement among black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to some degree, you might say that I'm sort of like that in the sense that I'm pretty, pretty much a fairly culturally conservative guy. But one thing that I do find, which um, most people tend to miss, either, either left or right, is they, don't, they, they almost never really see government's role in this whole thing. Because it is true that there are a lot of very poisonous things about popular black culture. But when you criticize 
black culture and say that that's the problem, it's almost the same thing as saying there is no problem or we're not going to do anything about it. Because how do you say, well, 20 million people have a problem? I mean, what is that actually saying? Um Hmm. You know what, what? What do you plan to do with them? line them up, put them in camps, kill them? I mean, <laughs> right? What are you, you know, going to do there? Yeah. So, so in my mind, they they're both kind of missing the point because on the left you have people who essentially they have different opinions on the war on drugs, but they all kind of they all want to keep welfare and expand it for the most part. And then on the this cultural right, you end up having people who want to eliminate welfare for the most part, but they all want to keep the war on drugs and be very strong law and order. And they don't realize that these are Two of these are the major problems, not not just just major problems, but the major problems. Okay, those two things are it. That is what makes that is what to, to a large degree incentivizes black culture to develop in the way that it has. I would agree. So you're saying, were it not for government welfare, government's war on drugs, we may not have the uh, the gangster rap situation and all of the negative messages that are associated with it today. It would be insane to do so because. Right now, having multiple children uh, for a lot of men essentially is a badge of honor. It doesn't cost them anything, and for mm-hmm. the for the women, uh, you know, it doesn't really cost them anything. They're able to get, they're able to feed themselves and feed their children. They don't have to worry about trying to harass the man in question. So, I mean, there's no, there's there's not a very strong incentive for them to to uh, close their legs or use some protection. <laughs> there really isn't. Right. So, yeah, I guess so, people like the the, uh, the gentleman who wrote that article, I guess he just wants everybody to turn off their CD players or their MP3 players uh, as a, you know, as the solution. And you're saying he needs to look a little bit deeper. He needs to look he needs to look a little bit deeper than that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's easy enough to say, well, all of these people need to need to change, but to me that's really not that's not really offering anything useful. You know, because um you know, it, it'd be like saying, uh, well, what needed to change about 1940s Germany is that they needed to stop the racism. No, they need to get rid of the Nazism. The government was, was the thing. Well, um, I don't know. Here's the, There was pervasive racism in this country in you know, the early 60s, the 50s, and people came out against it and largely knocked the legs out of it. Um, yeah. and they use the government to do it, and I, I don't like the uh, the system by which they went about it, but I can certainly understand why they, they did what they did in, in the manner that so they did I. it. Um, you know, I, I don't entirely agree with it. I don't have a better plan for it. I haven't spent any time with it. I like to deal with liberty today, um, not in history. But um, oh. I think that what he's trying to do is just begin, you know, send up the rallying cry for the charge on, uh, you know, these these gangster rappers. Oh, I, I agree with him there. And I'm not I'm not against this article. I'm not criticizing mm-hmm. him at all in that regard. I absolutely do believe that the rallying cry should be started. I believe that this discussion is extremely important. Uh but I don't want people to really miss some of some of the uh some of the underlying issues here mm-hmm. that yes, there are a lot of damaging uh, a lot of terrible things about popular black culture, but there are reasons why these things are there which could which could be remedied, remedied by actually repealing some laws. I mean, there are, there, 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 it's not just a matter of going and teaching people better ways, because the reason why those, why those better ways aren't effective now is because there aren't really that many incentives for them to take up those better ways. That's what it's all about, is the, uh, the lack of incentive or the negative incentives that are created uh, for people in their lives. Absolutely. Rob, any other thoughts for us? 
No, that's all I wanted to say. Great call. Appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231. So essentially saying that, okay, the article's good in that it's getting the discussion started mm-hmm. and that it's getting people to maybe look at some other problems that we really have in the world. But, but no, solutions saying, are, no solutions are given, and, and probably the best way to right. uh, solve the problem is to get True. rid of welfare. Get rid of the war on drugs. That's true. He was more complaining about the uh, the problems than anything else. Mm-hmm. There, were, there weren't solutions. And uh, Rob's just saying, let's dig deeper. Let's figure out what the real issues are here. And the real issue, and, and I'll go a little bit further than what he said, because he said welfare, he singled out welfare and the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. I'd like to add regulation in Yeah, regulation's huge. As well, um, because regulation keeps poor people poor. Doesn't matter if they're poor blacks, poor whites, poor Hispanics. It keeps poor people poor. Of course, it affects uh, the, the poor black a population probably you know disproportionately well you know it's it's more difficult for them to uh, figure out how to get into the system to you know to to comply with regulations to fill out the uh, occupational licenses and all that other stuff they need and of course usually not... it, it looks just so scary to them such right. a big scary thing that they don't bother with it um that's how i feel about regulations i'd say whoa i, I don't want to hire a lawyer i can't afford to hire a lawyer to dig through these uh, this mountain of of uh, laws, I, you know, we read on the air a, a story about a girl who was uh, running a little hair braiding business in her um, um, house. And African hair braiding. African hair braiding, okay. Um, and it was reported on by the newspaper. Well, they the said, reason why was because nobody else offered it. The mm-hmm. beauty salons around were not offering those services. Mm-hmm. So that's what made her unique and that she was the one that was doing this. And so that's why she got the newspaper article, which attracted the attention of the, of bureaucrats, the bureaucrats, who then shut her down for running a cosmetology unlicensed. business, yeah, unlicensed cosmetology business out of her house. What do you think that did to that girl's entrepreneurial spirit? I would I, I would think that, I don't know, entrepreneurial spirit's a pretty tough thing. And well, I, uh, well, yeah, it may be tough, but it's easy to crush, especially at a young age, I would think. You know, you realize, oh, I have to go through all these governmental hoops in order to do what I want to do, I'll just go and get a job somewhere. And they told her to go and get a license. This is the real kicker on that story. They shut her down, shut down her business, and they told her that you need to go and get a license to do beautician things. So when she looked into beauty school, she found out that she was going to be taught, you know, when you go to these beauty schools, you have to go usually through X amount of hours of training. And she found out that she was going to be taught how to, you know, paint nails, uh, do haircuts, you know, do a variety of different things. Right. None of which, none of which included African hair braiding. Right. And it, <laughs> it just it shows how um, silly it is. And really, the the beauty schools are just, um, you know, something there so that you can get your cosmetology license. The cosmetology license right. is in place to keep uh, people like this little girl from getting into the um, t- t- being competition to the licensed cosmetologist. And you have to pay your vig to the government in order to be able to. Uh, um, you know, play in this game, kid. Right. And actually, interestingly enough, believe this or not, here in New Hampshire, the regulations that are be- the the people who created the, the lawmakers that created the regulations that mandate that people go to beauty school, mm-hmm. one of those lawmakers owns the major beauty school in the state of New Hampshire. It's it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, here in uh, you know, I just I obviously I can only speak about New Hampshire. It's the only uh, legislative process I I really uh, know intimately. Um, you know, the education bill that just got passed that mandated kindergarten across the board. Uh, you know, guy sitting on the uh, the panel was a former public pr- school principal. Mm-hmm. So, 
So my point being, regulations keep poor people poor, and if you're keeping poor people poor, you're destroying their uh, their economic incentives, you're destroying their incentive to innovate, their incentive to be entrepreneurs, to make a better life for themselves, and essentially um, relegating them to a life of working for someone else, working a J-O-B, and never really getting anywhere. And that's tragic as well. And that's one of the other things that, uh, that in my opinion, contributes to the situation that Rob was describing in, mm-hmm. uh, in his call. 800-259-9231. Let's go to Dave in Colorado. It's actually Dave in New Hampshire. Are you there? Dave, in, in, or Dave from New Hampshire, but currently in Colorado for vacation. Ah, and you're actually doing activism on your vacation as well. You never stop. We're going to get to your story if you can hang on through the news. So we'll bring you back. 800-259-9231. You just can't quit. Can't even take a vacation without doing activism. Love that guy. More on the way. You can uh, take control of the airwaves. Bring up whatever you want. This is Free Talk Live, Hour 3. Coming up. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and we're launching into hour number three. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com, where all the features are completely free. That, once again, is freetalklive.com. And April is Financial Literacy Month. Give the child in your life financial literacy, be they son, daughter, or sibling. A, ch- a kid's journey to getting rich by Jewel Thornton teaches a child the basics of finance, money management, and real estate investments. School doesn't teach kids about money. Only their loved ones can do that. So give your special child a kid's journey to getting rich. Order it at akidsjourney.com or call 800-657-5066. That's 1-800-657-5066 as we go to the phones and to the fun. It's Dave from New Hampshire calling, this time from Colorado, on vacation, A eh, Dave? Dave, are you still there? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, we have you. Good. So you went to Colorado for a vacation, but I hear you're doing activism anyway. What's going on? Well, I couldn't help it. You know, there's this guy that you guys talk about on Free Talk Live sometimes. You've been talking about him recently because he's been uh, sentenced to six years in prison. Mm. Rick Stanley, Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, libertarian congressional candidate who is also a big Ed Brown supporter. You've read his emails on the air and so forth about the Ed Brown situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he was recently sentenced to six years in prison, or at least his sentence was upheld, six years in prison for telling a federal judge that he could be subject to arrest by militias. Right. They took that as a threat, and so they claimed that he was threatening the judge. Correct. And uh, so anyway, I just discovered I was going to be driving past the Colorado Court of Appeals on my way to visit relatives, mm-hmm. so I figured, well, I should drop by and do a silent demonstration at the Colorado Court of Appeals. Did you so, have all I, of your signage and stuff with you, or did you well, have to go out to the, the office store? Yeah, I had to go out to the Walmart and get some signage, and my sign was grotesque. It was, it was a total Franken-sign. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I did flap one together, uh, and I uh, called Rick Stanley first, you know, to make sure this was okay with him. And uh, then, he, yeah, he said that, you know, that was the best location to do it. So I just went and uh, walked in, and uh, I guess you can take the free state with you wherever you go. You know, I uh, just went up to the metal detector and stood there with my little sign, and, uh, of course, they immediately t- kicked me out, told me to leave and everything, and, so I did what I usually do. I didn't talk to them, and I just walked 
you know, backwards really, really slow <laughs> right. to the door. And, of course, the, the, the slower I go, the more they freak out. So they were on the horn calling state troopers and everything. So wow. uh, by the time I got outside, they were calming down a little bit, but they were still, you know, pretty excited. And um, people were starting to come in and look at me and talk to me. And, and apparently everybody in Colorado seems to have heard of Rick Stanley because, uh, you know, uh, all these people that I've run into while making the sign and stuff, they all knew who he was. Hmm. Interesting. So that is a good thing. So nothing, uh, nothing terrible happened to you. They didn't harass you any further than just kicking you out, huh? Correct. A couple of state troopers came up after I had hit about, you know, I hit about the 15-foot mark, you know, away from the front door, mm-hmm. backing up and everything. And uh, they came out and said hi to me. One of them came up behind me. One of them in front of me and uh, asked me questions. Of course, I wouldn't talk to them either. And, um, <laughs> so they finally asked me what my name was, and I planned on not having my ID with me, but I did have a little slip of paper that said. I am your humble servant, Dave Ridley. So that got a laugh out of them, and uh, they just said, well, well, just be careful not to fall over, and, hey, you should go out to the sidewalk. You know, of course, I was already backing up to the sidewalk, so what could they do? Right, right. Now, what, was your, what did your sign say? It said, uh, please stop hurting Rick Stanley, the libertarian. I don't know if Rick would call himself a libertarian. Uh, well, he ran as a libertarian uh, on a libertarian ticket. Yeah, he did. He did, and then I guess he was sort of disappointed uh, with some of the things about the Libertarian Party, and he since uh, he since found a home with the Constitution Party, which I you know I find unfortunate. Uh, you know they're they are not as uh, as pro liberty as the as the Libertarians are, but hey, he's still he's still fighting for freedom, so I give him credit where credit's due. It's better to have a person who's eighty percent pro liberty out there fighting for freedom than a person who's one hundred percent. Pro liberty, not fighting for freedom. Good point, Dave, and thank you for the call. We I'd appreciate it. That. Enjoy the rest of your vacation. 800 259 9231. That's the toll free number. You know, uh, Mark, we earlier this year talked about the Boston story. Mm-hmm. The uh, the Moonanites from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Right. The, uh, the little signs that the was it, uh, Cartoon Network put up all over the city that caused uh, the uh, Boston people to just go into a big. Uh, you know, harangue over, uh, you know, bombs and stuff. Well, it wasn't the Boston people so much as it was the Boston government. Yeah, the Boston government. They spent the local government. over 750000 taxpayer dollars on shutting down the city and getting everybody all excited and upset over what they thought were some sort of dangerous devices. Mm-hmm. Why, I don't know, considering the devices had been up for two to three weeks before somebody finally had a problem with one of them. Right. And it was just the most one of the most absurd stories of the year. Well, the absurdity hasn't stopped, apparently, in Boston, because apparently, according to the Boston Herald, Tenley Woodman reporting, score one for the Moonanites, the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie behind January's marketing stunt-turned-bomb scare opens in Boston on Friday. Mm-hmm. Despite the mayor's plea, Thomas Menino's plea to local theaters not to screen it, quote, out of respect to the people of Boston. How dumb. What What kind of respect bag? is that? <laughs> No such luck. Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters opens Friday with two screens, and they list the locations. The vice president of publicity said the film's distributor didn't have any trouble getting Boston theaters to show it. I imagine they didn't. Boston came to a near standstill January 31st when more than three dozen battery-powered light boards, some with dangling wires, were discovered around the city. Public safety officials launched an all-out terror response, only to discover the boards depicted the cartoon character Moonanite. From the uh, from Aqua Teen Hunger Force, which is a cult hit series on Cartoon Network, and by the way, Mark, but since this whole incident, I actually did take the time to uh, 
find a few episodes of Aqua mm-hmm. Teen Hunger Force and uh, and watch them. And, and you know you what? Think? It's an enjoyable program. I bet it is. It's uh, it's pretty funny. It's pretty creative. It's very oddball, right? Maybe. Very strange. <laughs> uh, so if you like that sort of thing, you probably enjoy this show. The two men who posted the boards are still facing felony hoax charges. Cartoon Network's parent company, Turner Broadcasting, and its marketing firm agreed to pay $2 million in restitution to city and state agencies that responded to the terror alert. With the movie opening looming, the official response from those agencies, including the Massachusetts State Police and the Attorney General's Office, the Boston Police Department as well, was no comment. Uh, Some pop culture observers think that's the most effective tactic. Doug Quintal, an undergraduate program director and executive in residence at the Department of Marketing Communication, says, I think the worst thing the mayor can do at this point is to give it legs that it doesn't already have. If it was banned in Boston, it would get bigger numbers nationally because that would be front-page news. January's brouhaha's may spark greater turnout from the film's target audience. I would say so. Absolutely. I mean, it would have... It would have uh, probably done nowhere near as well as it may do if they just had let those signs sit where they were, flashing like they were. And, yeah, you know. well, it got a lot of publicity. Right, because just the signs by themselves aren't really effective advertising. The signs by themselves are just sort of like an inside joke. The signs by themselves only affect those who are aware of, what the character, of who the characters are and what the series is. If you're somebody like me that has never come across the, these characters before, has never seen the show, spotting this on the street is virtually meaningless. Right. But when you uh, have this huge overreaction and p- people shutting down the streets, putting these things on television and mentioning over and over again who they are and what they stand for, then obviously um, they're going to get a little bit more attention than they might have otherwise. It seems obvious to me. I mean, is all you're doing is giving them publicity. Lots of it. Of course, in this case, it wasn't free. It was $2 million publicity. But, you know, be that as may. Uh, so apparently, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, uh, one of the fans says, I think too much was made of it, and Turner stepped up and paid their end of it. I don't see why they did that. I wish they hadn't. What would have, what would have, can you imagine what would have happened if Turner had just said, hey, get your panties out of a wad? It's It'd be kind a of stunt. interesting. It's a stunt. Get over it. You guys are the ones that decided to spend all this money on bomb squads and shutting down streets. That's not our responsibility. It's not our responsibility as a company that produces entertainment to uh, to cover you when you make a mistake. And so I wish they had done that because then what are they going to do? Are they going to bring him bring him no, up on charges? They, they'd cry and moan really loud. Really though, I mean, what could they possibly do? I don't know. I don't know either. Hard to imagine. And believe it or not, the blowing up of things, because the first uh, one of these boards that they found, these light bright boards, they blew it up. Yeah. And it's a bomb, was, of course. And then there was another story that came out a matter of weeks later where, again, from Boston. They blew up their they, own traffic counter. Right. They blew up another bureaucracy's um, piece of hardware. And now there's another situation where people have blown things up unnecessarily. This is Free Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. We've got the studio cam available to you. It's free. You just go to cam.freetalklive.com, and you can take a peek here into the Free Talk Live studio. Once again, that's cam. 
www.freetalklive.com. The Free State Project's Porcupine Freedom Festival, better known as Porkfest, is June 18th through the 24th. Porkfest, you'll be able to at Porkfest, you'll be able to talk to New Hampshire natives and those who've made the move and attend leadership and activist training seminars. Register today at porkfest.com. That's p o r c f e s t.com. porkfest.com. 800-259-9231. I mentioned that there was another story about the, the police just blowing things up unnecessarily, uh, sort of like uh, the Boston police have now done twice this year, uh, first blowing up one of the Moonanite flashboards earlier in uh, in January, and then blowing up one of their own traffic counters. <laughs> well, this particular story doesn't come from Boston, but it's the same sort of mentality. Uh, as uh, As Tech Dirt puts it, when your only tool is a bomb squad, everything looks like a bomb. A few weeks ago, we saw the city of Boston totally embarrass itself when it massively overreacted to a silly guerrilla marketing stunt gone awry. Apparently, nobody learned the lesson as other places are adopting the when in doubt, blow it up mantra. And this isn't a new thing. They've been doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in New Mexico, some pranksters placed three CD players in a church on Ash Wednesday, then had them play vulgar messages to disrupt the service. The police were summoned, and then they soon detonated two of the three CD players, while the third one was taken back for fingerprint testing. This is ridiculous for multiple reasons. For one thing, it should have been clear that the CD players were placed there as a cruel prank, as evidenced by what they were playing. And if some people were going to make a bomb in the shape of a CD player, they wouldn't have had them play noise that might attract attention to them. The fact that they took the third player back to the lab is basically an admission that there was no way they were bombs. Otherwise, they'd have detonated that one, too. Stories like these are really disturbing for what they say about the way we handle security these days. With so many out-of-proportion responses, how is law enforcement going to respond when there's a real threat, says Tech Dirt. And that's an excellent question. I I guess we'll blow the crap up. uh, I I would say that uh, you could probably extrapolate that they would respond pretty extremely. Like shutting down roads like they did. I mean, look at what they did in Boston over a light bright board. Shutting down entire sections of the city. Stopping commerce. You know, sorry, you got a, got a workplace to go to? Well, we found a flashing light bright board and we just can't allow you into this section Estimates of the city. Estimates are it cost the city, um, or cost the taxpayers of the city, $750,000. Yeah. Uh, 750000 is that right? Yeah, five, between half a million and three-quarters of a million. Yeah, and, and then um, don't forget, the I, I would say millions of dollars worth of commerce that, uh, you know, that was disrupted. Yeah, it's, it's just... Either delayed or just, um, you know, somehow it didn't happen because of the timing. Let's go to the phones. It's Eric in Texas. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, guys. How's it going this evening? Great. What's on your mind, Eric? A few nights ago, you were discussing the FCC and how it wants to regulate even more on on television content. Yeah, it looks like uh, the FCC is angling to get into the violence regulation game at this point. Yeah, to be honest, uh, yes, it's bad, and I I don't want them to do that. But to be honest, I really don't think within five years it'll even matter. What do you mean? All Just about all content distribution now is moving online, and so pretty soon terrestrial TV will almost cease to exist you know i i've heard i've heard the doomsday uh reports like this before um what would you i mean how about terrestrial tv uh disappearing when cable came about um well you know i mean i, I can't attest to that but it, if the fcc regulates more and more 
it's just going to further that push. That, that much may be true, but are you saying that when you say terrestrial TV, are you talking about broadcast television or cable I'm television? About, I'm talking about broadcast television. Well, broadcast um, television, it, you know, it barely exists today anyways. It's, I mean, the, those television networks that are the, the broadcasters, they really, they really only are there because they can get on the local cable systems. I can't imagine there are that many people actually picking up signals from, from rabbit right. ears and that sort of thing. It, and the whole problem with them stems from the local monopolies that they have anyway. Uh, if it weren't for those local monopolies, uh, it wouldn't be a problem because then you'd have cable providers that would offer piecemeal uh, purchasing of uh, of stuff people uh, want to see. So if you want to be able to see um, if you want to be able to see the San Francisco Giants play baseball, then um, you know you'd be able to buy that package instead of just having to buy this huge sports package that they offer. Um, they you know if you want to get the HBO channel, you would be able to get the HBO channel without having you know or the Jesus buy, channel to buy all kinds of stuff. Yeah, sorry, exactly. Eric, go ahead. It, it, that's exactly what I'm saying. And you can't do that now with the way they have it set up. With You know, you have one cable provider in your area, and you've got to deal with what he offers you. Yep, no doubt about it. And the FCC is looking to get into the cable regulation business at this point. Uh, you know, and you're right. It is going to take them some time because they are the government, and they do move slowly if this even comes to fruition. And there's a chance that, you know, the ball will just be dropped and nothing will ever happen about it. It just could be, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of pounding at the pulpit, so to speak. Um, but nonetheless, right. if they do get into uh, to cable, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll target YouTube. Maybe they'll go after Internet websites. It, they could if they wanted to, couldn't they? Uh, I think at that point they'd face a severe backlash. Yeah, they've avoided it up, up until now because they've had the public airwaves defense to fall back on. Mm -hmm. But with the Internet, they really don't have that because there is no public Internet. Well, there's no public cable channels either, and, I mean, what's their excuse going to be there? It's just that they're the FCC. They deem to regulate all communications, and, uh, and they, you know, cable is a communications medium, just as the Internet is a communications medium. I'm not saying they could ever effectively actually regulate these websites, and I think you're right. I think Google, who owns YouTube, would certainly give them uh, you know, a, a serious challenge on that. And, of course, if they yeah. did manage to shut down YouTube, then it you know, would just go overseas. Overseas websites would just start popping up, providing that, the, those services as well. So it's a futile, battle. It's a futile battle that they're fighting, and unfortunately, the, the television stations that are, in many cases, still owned by mom and pops, uh, are going to be taking the brunt of it. And More so sad. than radio stations. That's sad. Yeah. Eric, any other thoughts? No, that was it, guys. Thanks, Thanks. for the call, man. Appreciate it. 800-259-9231. I, I don't know. It's, it's a scary-sounding story, you know, the idea that the FCC wants to get into regulating cable. But I would imagine there probably have been forces within the FCC that have been looking to do that sort of thing for a long time. I think so. I mean, you know, obviously they uh, the more power, the more places that they can regulate, the more power they have, and uh, you know, the more power they have, the more money they need to get paid. It just makes perfectly good sense that they would do that. Sorry, whether they will or not is another question. They are our uh, benevolent protectors, our overlords, and they have to watch out for what's going into the mind of American people and especially the children. Mommy government's looking out for you, yep. 800-259-9231. Coming up, we're going to talk about the wasted vote 
syndrome. We've sort of been talking about voting on and off mm-hmm. over the past few days on the show. We haven't really hit the wasted vote issue too hard. And uh, Sanzor Blessman has uh, an interesting little story that he recounts about a, a family dinner that he was involved in where someone someone took him to task for voting for a third party. Yeah. And pretty sad. We'll get a, uh, get to that in your calls as well about whatever's on your mind at 800-259-9231. Plus, the prison abuse continues. Last night it was a little boy in Florida. Now it's sex abuse charges for two Texas Youth Commission administrators. More coming up. This is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and it's your show. You bring up what's on your mind. Toll free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll free line, and it is Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com, where all the features are completely free. That does include live streams, the broadband version of the show, and a dial-up version totally free for you at freetalklive.com. Do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections? SACL CAI does collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL's employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to keep your uh, to collect your money, but you want to keep those clients, too. SACL CAI. Check out their banner at freetalklive.com or call 800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. That's 800-544-6359. And you can take control of the airwaves at 800-259-9231. As we talk about the wasted vote syndrome, so-called, Sanzor Blessman at the American Chronicle uh, reports. He says, I've always enjoyed Matt Groening's work. I remember before The Simpsons were on television, he did a cartoon called Life in Hell. And uh, I've actually read some of the Life in Hell books. They're pretty Mm -hmm. entertaining. What I really like about Matt's work is how he uses his characters to express his own viewpoints. Sometimes he's subtle, sometimes not. I remember a particular episode of The Simpsons where Bob Dole and Bill Clinton were kidnapped by aliens. The aliens then replaced them and campaigned for president as though they were regular humans. When Homer exposed them as aliens, one of them said something to the effect of, So what? We won the primaries. We're your candidates. You have to vote for one of us. To which a gentleman in the crowd answered, I could vote for a third-party candidate. Upon hearing that, the aliens laughed, as they tend to do, and one of them said, What? And waste your vote? (laughs) It was funny and poignant at the same time. It seems that most people today actually and seriously believe, if they do not vote for a Republican or a Democrat, that they are wasting their vote. Right. Nearly everyone I talk to, when confronted with reality, will admit that they don't like either candidate running, and they're voting for the lesser of two evils. Right. I personally never felt right voting for an evil of any kind. I've only once voted for a Republican or Democratic presidential candidate, and that was Reagan in 1984. Even the first time I voted in 1980, I voted for John Anderson, an independent candidate. And I've been wasting my vote ever since. A few years back, I was at my in-laws having dinner. A family friend joined us, and I don't know how the subject came up, but she asked me who I'd voted for in the last election. I told her, Harry Brown. She looked shocked. And, of course, he was the Libertarian Party candidate. She asked me who? I don't think she realized that there were even other candidates she could vote for. (laughs) Harry Brown, the Libertarian Party candidate, I told her. Shame on you, she scolded me. 
Shame on me. I'm proud that I haven't voted for any of the corrupt officials that now operate our government. Shame on me? I don't think so. I want to keep my freedoms. Thank you very much. I'm proud of the Constitution, and I want to see its integrity upheld. Absolutely. As angry and upset as I was that I'd been shamed by this woman who'd refused to study the reality of politics and what interests her representative really stood for, I didn't say a word. She'd simply voted for the party that she'd voted for all of her life. And probably likely that her parents voted for them as well. I would think so. She was so set in her ways and so brainwashed by years of apathy and propaganda that nothing I could have said would have changed her mind. Some people just aren't worth arguing with. Now, as I pointed out before on the show, it's best to not argue with people in general. Right. It's doesn't, it, it, it doesn't really serve any purpose. We do it here on Free Talk Live, but that's because we're doing a talk show and uh, we need to entertain people. It's supposed people. to be engaging. Um, but in real life, you're best off if you persuade. And there are certain secrets to uh, to political persuasion. There are certain techniques that are more effective than other ones. And arguing is not a persuasive technique. Arguing is essentially you've got a trench that you dig for yourself, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, opponent is also digging that trench. And uh, you, you essentially huddle down in your trench, and you throw barbs at one another. You throw <laughs> bombs, and you attack one another. Um, and essentially, during an argument, one person is speaking, and as that other person is speaking, the other person's busily working in his <laughs> trench, trying to put some bombs together <laughs> to throw back at the other person. Right. You're just thinking about what you're going to say next instead of really um, having a conversation. And in there are certainly, even in the world of persuading people, there are p- people you will come across like this woman uh, that just have next to zero chance of getting it, next to zero chance of coming in our direction. And so, therefore, it is a total waste of your time to spend uh, investing in in people like this. I don't know entire. I don't know whether I agree entirely. I I can understand um, social pressures not to get into an argument or a discussion. Uh, you know, to disagree with somebody in certain given circumstances. I mean, if you're at your mom's house and your mom's friend, uh, you know, says something, I can I can see that. But I think that everybody deserves. If not deserve, I feel everybody deserves my answer. Look, if you're going to say something like that to me, I've got something else to say. And, it, you know, look, I'm just not willing to vote for the lesser of two evils. Well, now, an answer is one thing, but an hour-long conversation where you're not getting anywhere is another thing. That's what I'm saying. It's okay to respond. It's just a, it's a waste of your time to continue past that. Right. There's, there's, there's a point where it becomes pointless. Right. You need to, it's a sales job. What we're doing is we're selling liberty. I'm, I'm sorry that we have to sell liberty like a product, but that's just, just how it has to be. what we have to do. And, uh, you know, in any sales game, whether you're selling liberty or selling uh, toothpaste or selling radio, you have the product that you believe in, and you're trying to show other people how the product is going to benefit their lives. In this case, liberty has, of course, just an un- almost unlimited amount of benefits for people. But there are just certain people that aren't good Good prospects. They're mm-hmm. they're just not qualified prospects. They're not interested in what you have to say, even though this product may help them. They they don't. They're not interested in even uh, being open minded enough to begin to see how your product could possibly help them. And so, in the sales game, you don't waste your time on unqualified prospects. I mean, you could spend you could spend your life. 
trying to sell vacuum cleaners to people that already have, you know, an effective vacuum cleaner, and you're not going to be able to really effectively explain to them why your model of vacuum cleaner is worth spending another $500 on when they've already got one that sucks up dirt. Tough sell. So, you know, you just, you have to find those people that, you know, they've got a lousy vacuum cleaner, or they they realize that they've got a problem, and you can help show them um, how your product can be a solution for them. So qualify your prospects. Make sure they've got an open mind, or at least a somewhat open mind, or they're they're interested in even discussing these things with you. If you tell someone you voted for a third party and they say, shame on you, that's probably not a good prospect. Poke around a little bit, like Mark is suggesting, and, you know, deliver a few points, see how they respond to it, and then make a judgment call as to whether or not you should continue with them or move on. Because when you move on... Uh, you're likely to eventually come across somebody who is going to be responsive, somebody who is going to be interested in in uh, what you have to say. You know, I I don't know whether this uh, person was you know the the you know the the dinner was uh, a person that would be likely. He would probably know from dealing with his mother what yep. his mother's friend would be likely to want to vote. And if she would uh, be so bold as to say shame on you in the process, she would probably have wanted him to vote one way or the other. Um, you know, I don't know which way it would be, but you know, if it was Republican, you could say something like, uh, you know, if if, they, if she wanted you to vote Republican, you'd be like, yeah, um, you know, I thought that the Republican Party stood for principles like small government and uh, less and less taxes, and it seems to me that George Bush, uh, you know, is just the worst Republican. I, he's not a Republican. He's the he's a better Democrat than uh, Clinton ever was, or you know, some Clint, some statement like that, like, hey, you've been duped. This is disgusting. Or if it was a Democrat, then you could say, you know, I thought that the Democrats were out there looking out for the little guy, but as it turns out. Um, the real effects of their policies are to enrich the upper class and actually hurt the people that they were intending to help. All right, so he says, I saw an interesting poll on one of the major news channels. I think it was MSNBC. Uh, Sometime in 2004, for instance, the poll asked those that responded whether they felt the federal government represented them. An amazing 99% of the respondents answered no. I wondered because it doesn't. Right. I wondered which one percent of the population feels the government does. Right. <laughs> Just as amazing to me is that an almost equally high percentage of people continue to vote for the same people, the same two parties, which they apparently don't even feel represent them. Of course, as we've pointed out, they don't know there's something else. Well, they, they know. They just don't believe that it, it, it's worth it. I, most of them really don't know it. They, they they just don't realize it. More on the way. You take control. The wasted vote syndrome. Your comments. Your calls about anything. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. Bring up what you want toll free at 800 259 9231, even in these remaining moments. 1 800 259 9231. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com, is where you go. We've got a lot of features, and we give them all away. Those other radio talk show hosts want to charge you for access to their archives and their other special features. We do it for free at freetalklive.com, though we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier, as have done over 365 of our listeners. We'd like you to join their ranks by uh, contributing 3 bucks a month to the show. That's all we're asking for. That's half the price of what those other guys charge for for their websites. But again, this is above and beyond all that. This is voluntary. And what we do with the money is we advertise, market, and promote Free Talk Live. We take that money in, pool it together, and we turn it around into uh, purchasing industry advertising, 
to buy like half page ads in Talkers magazine. We've got uh, our affiliate relations guy that we paid to uh, to call radio stations mm-hmm. on our behalf, and uh, we, we're doing other things with the money. You can take a look at the list of uh, the laundry list of things we're doing over at amp.freetalklive.com. Also, learn about the perks you get access to, like the amplifier only chat room. The amplifier-only forum, amplifier-only phone lines, all the details there at amp.freetalklive.com. So we're talking about the so-called wasted vote syndrome. The fact, according to uh, Sons or Blessman at the American Chronicle, is that he heard a story on MSNBC a couple years ago where 99% of Americans answered that they don't feel like the federal government represents them. 99%. That's a lot. And and he's pointing out that, you know, even though most Americans, a super majority of them, don't think the feds represent them, they still continue to vote for the same old two parties, the Republicans and the Democrats. Yep, same crap. It's very rare that there's someone worthy of voting for in those two parties. Ron Paul is pretty much the exception. Um, and he is, of course, running as a Republican for uh, for president here in 2008. But otherwise, uh, I've never really had an interest in voting for any of these people. But most Americans continue to do so. Yeah, Sanzorf continues. He says, my, my son took a class on politics in high school. He was taught that the main differences in the philosophies of the Republicans and Democrats, which wasn't much, being from an informed home, he asked his teacher about the Libertarian Party. His teacher explained to him that because of where the money for the class came from, he couldn't teach him about libertarians. Wow. Even though the teacher himself professed to being one. Huh. Imagine that. Could the Republicans and Democrats be that afraid of third parties that they will not allow our children to learn about them in a class on politics? The answer is yes, they absolutely could. Let's flash back to 1992 and Ross Perot. Yeah, I know. Big ears. Kind of a goofy guy. Maybe a little wacky, but he's he's an excellent um, case study for why a third party could you know or why a third party candidate could work. And he's the reason why there are all these uh, rules in place today to prevent third parties from getting into the game. They let Ron, um, they let that that guy into the debates back in the ni- the early 1990s, mm-hmm. and he he cleaned house. I mean, as far as he got attention, people heard something different. And he got 19, I believe it was 19% of the popular vote. And that was after um, he blew up as a candidate. Yeah. Uh, if he would have not blown up, then he could have he could have won. Ross Perot, by being just another choice, his ideas were just, you know, probably just as bad as the other guys. But he was something else. Anything else. And so the American and, and the, people. At, at the American people decided 19% of them to vote for him, even if he saw ninjas out of his back window. Yeah. So the American people turned out in droves to vote for this man. And as a result, completely changed the results of what the election might have turned out to be. George Bush Sr. might have won were it not for Ross Perot being in, in the race. Who knows what would have happened. Right. But we do know that what happened afterwards was that the Republicans and the Democrats, the upper echelon guys, got together and had some secret meetings, and they decided, all right, whoa, we can't have this happening in 1996. <laughs> this is bad. So they created the Commission for the Presidential Debates. Uh, that's essentially what it's called. Anyway, it's a bipartisan group that essentially sets the rules for what you see on television, the presidential debates. And the rule is no third-party candidates allowed. The rule is the third-party candidates have to get 
like 15% in the polls, and they have to they have to jump through a lot of hoops that yeah, are way the, too high for any third-party candidate. As though the the polls should matter. I mean, it's just a it's a poll. It's not an official vote. Right, and you'll do better in the polls if you're led into the debates. So, really, they've constructed the entire system at this point, and of course, there are all sorts of uh, ballot provisions, uh, provisions and re- restrictions and requirements that third parties have to jump through to even get their candidate's name on the ballot in all 50 states in the first place, let alone get them into the debates. Mm-hmm. And so they've essentially set it up so you, you just can't get in, uh, or you're, you're essentially marginalized as much as possible. He says, I think the more educated we've become... He says, oh, sorry, he says, no one wants to allow any other party equal access to the hearts and minds of the people. I think the more educated we become, the more informed, the more likely we are to waste our votes. Unfortunately, it seems we're becoming less educated and less informed as a society. I suppose we have the classes like the one my son took and the mass media unwilling to give equal time to third parties to blame for that. Before the 2004 presidential election, my older brother and I got into a debate of sorts. Neither one of us liked George Bush, and my brother was trying to convince me to vote for John Kerry. Mm, My best friend was uh, trying to convince me the same thing. Uh, Many of my friends who had voted for uh, for Harry Brown in 2000 switched over and lost track of any sort of principles that they had and voted for John Kerry Mm -hmm. instead uh, instead of Michael Badnarik. I was very disappointed about that. He says, I explained to him that I didn't like Kerry anymore than I liked Bush, and I planned on voting for an independent candidate. My brother insisted that we needed to vote against Bush, that he needed to be kicked out of office. I told him that I would not compromise my values, my integrity, by voting for corrupt corporate-bought officials. I was going to vote for someone worthy of holding the office of president right. of the United States of America. You know, and, and I've got to say, it, you know, why can't other people look at it that way? It just seems crazy to me. I, you know, we've got to vote against this terrible guy. You know what? I'm going to vote for the guy that I think's best for the job. I recommend you do the same. But I want to vote for the guy who's going to win. But he, he didn't. That's the thing. John Kerry, everybody who voted for John Kerry wasted their vote. They wasted it. It didn't go anywhere. John Kerry's not in office. He's still a senator for uh, Connecticut. And everybody who voted for for either Kerry or Bush, who actually wants freedom, wasted their vote as well. Because there's zero chance that either of those guys would bring it to you. Yeah. uh, Or would give it back to you. Anyway, uh, he says, not against, I wanted to vote for someone worthy of holding the office of president, not against someone who shouldn't have been there in the first place. A couple of months after the election, my brother told me he felt I was right, and neither the Republicans or Democrats have the best interests of the people at heart. Most people I talk to about it don't like what's happened to our government. It's not hard to see that our representatives are bought and paid for by corporations and special interests. They have no will to stand up to an executive branch usurping their power, yet we don't seem to have the will to hold our representatives accountable. Every two years, we're asked to cast a vote for the representative of our district, and every two years, the usual suspects are put back into office. Every six years, we get a chance to tell our senators what we think about their performance, and again, every six years, the same people, the same parties, Republicans and Democrats, continue to be reelected to a job that they fail at miserably. Why do so many people continue to vote for someone who doesn't represent them? Many seem afraid to waste their vote. Only the people of Vermont seem to have the intestinal fortitude to put someone in office who will actually represent them. And I think he just means that the independent guy who's actually a socialist, Bernie somebody or other from Mm -hmm. Vermont, I think that's who he's uh, referring to. Which I suppose, you know, that's accurate representation for Vermont, full of socialists. 
I don't believe I've been wasting my votes for the last 26 years. On the contrary, I've been spending my votes wisely. I've been voting for change. I've been voting for accountability. I've been voting for transparency, for honesty, for adherence to our Constitution, for a less intrusive government, and for my personal God-given rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those who voted for Republicans or Democrats have voted for the status quo. They've voted for corruption. They've told the politicians, it's okay to screw us, yeah. that they're not going to be held accountable. Republicans and Democrats are the same. They're all rich elitists that have belonged to the same exclusive clubs. They're the one party with two faces, and the most people most people waste their votes by voting for them. Perhaps it's time that we as people band together, rise up, and yell, enough is enough. Perhaps it's finally time we the people exert our will and hold our representatives accountable. You know, it's it's sort of like um, it, it's how the NFL feels about you um, liking the Dallas Cowboys and Hating the Washington Redskins. Those are uh, rivals. Mm-hmm. I know you probably don't even know that much about football. Um, they don't care whether you like the the Cowboys or whether you like the Redskins, as long as you're watching and you know participating in and paying for NFL football. Right, and buy some of their uh, hats and stuff. That's that's you know, and, and that's what they want. Um, is when he says it's two faces on the same party, it's it's like that. Um, it, 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 the political system just gets bigger and bigger, and they really are the same. They're two sides of the exact same coin. You're mm-hmm. exactly right. Uh, if we all stop wasting our voids, uh, votes on Republicans and Democrats and spend our votes wisely on third parties on all levels of government, federal, state, and local. They'll get the message. That is, of course, if they don't manage to steal those elections. And I would say, vote for the people that represent you. See you tomorrow night. Online in the meantime, freetalklive.com. Do you like to build things? Have you ever cut wood with a tool? Are you tired of poor quality goods found in the Megalomart? If you answered yes to any of these questions, woodcraftplans.com has a fun project for you to make. We have hundreds of blueprints and patterns which can help all skill levels of craftspeople make wooden lawn furniture, bedroom furniture, yard decor like wishing wells and shadow figures, rocking horses, and a lot more. Visit woodcraftplans.com today. Get a plan and start building. That's woodcraftplans.com.